Let's get this party started. Let's get twitchy. <laughs> All right, here we go. Alright, alright. Hey y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap-up. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, a Senate race in California that you probably haven't heard too much about, but you should be hearing about because it's very important. Oh uh, yeah. You also, we're also going to be talking about uh, more updates surrounding the coronavirus pandemic plague that we all just live under these days because it's just madness. Um, a lot of information going on about the vaccine rollout and the absolute clusterfuck that has been the uh, vaccine rollout here in L.A. County and City. Uh, we've also got some information going on about uh, the Los Angeles Metro Board and their decision to reinvest in the buses that they canceled for no fucking reason. Uh, and then we're going to close out with just a little bit of a a little bit of a treat for those of you who are uh, fiscally inclined and uh, anyone who understood uh, this, we're gonna, this title we're here. We're going to talk about GameStop, <laughs> but not all the not all the boring shit that everyone's been talking about. We're not going to like talk to you about no. what short selling is. We figure you've, you've got a handle on that after literally everyone on the planet has covered that nonstop this week. Absolutely. But there's some there's some more fun stuff. So uh, anyway, that that's going to be the the run of the show here tonight so uh before we get started how are things going for you bushido oh it's going pretty well it's uh it's been a very very strange uh week uh it's been a very long decade this month um <laughs> it's a new month it's, it's a new it's month already february and also only february is like very disturbing i'm not gonna lie like that's that's really throwing me for a loop uh but at the same time i'm glad we we made it out of uh january um in our you know next round of of hellish dystopian years uh and yeah but you know what i uh yeah I, you know what chris how are you doing and then we're gonna talk daniel lee uh i'm doing pretty well uh the the cycling the indoor cycling in my living room is doing pretty well for me uh i i've nice. i am caught back up on the expanse as we were just talking about before the show started uh, should we tease the oh, fact it's, that it's interesting you mentioned that chris yeah yeah why, why is it why is it interesting that i mentioned that squirrel <laughs> well, so for, for those of you that have nothing to do on a Friday night who, who might have noticed that I've been gaming on Friday nights, we're going we're gonna to add a little bit more content to that. So uh, Chris, Logan Chance, and myself are going to be getting together uh, to do a show we're calling uh, Belta, Lo Belta Loda for the People in the Back, uh, where we're going to talk about The Expanse. Uh, and what we're going to do is each one of us is going to... Uh, take on sort of the, the role or the perspective of the different factions. Mm -hmm. And we're going to kind of dissect the episodes and the major plot points uh, based on the three different like major factions, the the UN, uh, the Martian colonial state, and uh, the, the OPA or the belt. And it's going to be really fun. So it's tune in Friday nights right here. Uh, 7 p.m. and uh, then when we're done with that, I might um, I might do some gaming. I might switch over to Kotor. So, so this... if you're a Star Wars like sci-fi fan, it's gonna be good. <laughs> uh, just to give people a hint as to which which faction I'm gonna be repping, it's actually the Mars Congressional Republic. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, just to make sure that everybody understands, uh, it's gonna be fun. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, this is a great chance for me to nerd out and touch base back with my 
uh, extremely nerdy roots, uh, more so than I do on this show on a regular basis. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how things are going for me. Um, let's get straight on into the fact that there is a special election going on in California State yep. Senate District number 30. Give us a lowdown, Moose Squirrel. Yeah, so uh, Senate District 30 was previously held, or represented rather, by Holly Mitchell. She's mm-hmm. now on the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. Uh, congratulations to her on that. But that means that her seat in the California State Senate is now vacated. So that triggered a special election. And so we're seeing uh, Sydney Kamlinger dove who represents uh, Assembly District 54, which is my Assembly District, uh, running for uh, State Senate District uh, 30, which is also my state Senate district, which covers a large part of like West LA, parts of South LA, Culver City, um, you know, a a general swath of like West LA and mid city. Um, And so far what we're seeing is a very progressive challenger in Daniel Lee going up against uh, a more establishment kind of progressive in Sydney Kamlinger Dove. Uh, There's also a peace and freedom party candidate um, who seems like they have some really cool positions, but when it came to the endorsement for Ground Game LA, uh, we felt that Daniel Lee is the strongest candidate on the progressive side, and so we fully endorsed him. Uh, Daniel Lee was previously on the Culver City City Council. He's still there, but he's having to cycle out because he's hit his term limit. He was the first black member of the uh, Culver City City Council in the hundred years Jesus. that Culver City has existed. Yeah, and uh, Yasmin McMorrin is now the first black woman on that same body. Remember, it took more than 100 years for that to happen. Um, And now they're going, once Daniel leaves, there's only going to be one black member on the Culver City City Council. Um, But in his time there, he passed and protected rent control. He did a lot of police reform actions, a lot of working with the community to give them a better voice in how their city is run, how development there happens, because there's a lot of big corporations that are trying Mm -hmm. to move in there. Amazon, Apple, Sony's already been there for a while since they bought MGM. But Culver City is changing very, very quickly, especially with the uh, the expo line being put in. Uh, Daniel Lee is rejecting all corporate cash. He is running an all-grassroots um, funded campaign. Yep. Uh, Sydney Kamlinger Dove, on the other hand, takes a lot of corporate money and a lot of money from developers, which is probably why she has not been very good on tenant issues, uh, which is one of the main reasons yeah. we're backing Daniel Lee. So if you would like to get involved and you, you, you know, first off, Make sure to vote when that ballot arrives in the mail. Make sure to send that in, marking the box for Daniel Lee. But two, you can head over to DanielWayneLee.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-W-A-Y-N-E-L-E-E.com. Uh, he's also endorsed by Sunrise Los Angeles, by Food and Water Watch, or by Food and Water Action, the Culver City Dems, and of course, as I mentioned, Ground Game LA. So we're really, really hoping to send a strong progressive, a renter, to Sacramento because we don't have nearly enough renters in Sacramento as it is. Like Holly Mitchell, uh, she's a she's a landlord. Yeah. Uh, she's a, a very landlordy landlord. <laughs> so we want to replace her with somebody that's got a little bit more like tenant energy going yeah. on. So DanielWayneLee.com, sign up, volunteer, donate. It'll be great. Also, uh, if you want to hear from Daniel Lee, uh, he was actually a guest on Knock at Night. Uh, what was that, two weeks ago? Yeah, it was a good show. It was a great show. So if anybody has any interest in really getting to hear, like, hear from Daniel himself, uh, that is a great opportunity to do so. It is readily available if you just go to YouTube and you search for knock.la, K-N-O-C-K-D-O-T-L-A. It is not hard to find us, and it is right on up there. Um, I forget what episode number that is. I think it's like 28. I don't remember. Uh, But it's the one from two weeks ago. Go, Go check it out. It's good. 
Um, we also are going to have another show coming up uh, this week, which will be fun. And uh, Squirrel, I think you're going to be doing a little uh, special guest appearance. You're not hosting, but it's going to be should be fun anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to be doing a little just like how to how to keep yourself prepared yeah. for emergencies. Just kind of a refresher because like. We're always living under the threat of the big one yep. as well as like fires and like other stuff. Like if you haven't noticed, there is a big pandemic. We're coming up on the one year anniversary pretty quick. So mm -hmm. it's going to be good. And we're also going to have the Bus Riders Union and the Rideshare Drivers United Union on to talk about non-traditional union organizing. So uh, I'm not going to be hosting. Uh, Eleanor is going to be hosting for her first time. And then Vic's going to be on also hosting. And it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited and looking forward to that one. Uh, it should be a great show. Uh, I'm, I can't wait to see Eleanor actually doing the hosting. That's going to be fun. And Vic's always yeah. an, an absolute pleasure to watch. So uh, getting on in to it and by it we mean the coronavirus yeah. updates uh now that the state is open and everyone can outdoor dine i'm sure things will will just get better <laughs> right chris everything's gonna be just so much better i mean no uh yeah so we're we're as of this recording we're up to uh and ignore the fact that this graphic again is not up to date because la times does not update their california uh, graphics quite as quickly as they update their Los Angeles County graphics. So here we go. 3.3 million confirmed cases in, in, of COVID-19 in the state of California. The graphic says 3 million, 300,000, or 301,731. The uh, latest numbers are 3 million, 306,509. Uh, that is a whopping 131,052 new cases in the past week. Uh, down a little bit from the week that we had before, but also not not zero uh, for sure. So I I'm, I am completely baffled by the the Gavinator's uh, decision to just say fuck it, open up everything, get that uh, well because like outdoor dining he going. was looking at predictions of predictions and the predictions of predictions. If our predictions hold, then those other predictions will predictably be predictable. Yeah. And so based on that. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't want to get recalled, so uh, <laughs> die to not recall our governor, Chris. No. Um, yeah, so we've had uh, 11,765 new cases in the, of the virus statewide yesterday with uh, another 4,778 new cases so far today. Uh, we're up to, oh yeah, this is, so the new cases by day, like it, it has dropped off. We're, we're at an average now of, a, the seven day average is right around 20,000 uh, new cases per day. So uh, again, Sundays are the low days for reporting. Also, the testing has kind of trailed off a bit, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, the Latino population of the state of California is still massively disproportionately being impacted. Eight and a half percent of the uh, population has been infected with COVID that have been uh, confirmed to have been infected with COVID. Uh, the, the, the black, white, and Asian uh, demographics that are tracked here in this in this uh, reporting are all around the uh, three to four uh, percent with the black population at, at that four percent. Uh, but the Latino population is still absolutely bearing the brunt of the infection in the state of California. The positivity rate uh, for the last seven days has actually dropped off significantly. It is now down to six point seven percent. But again, back in the beginning of the fall, we saw the state of New York, or the city of New York, rather, uh, freaking out about a positivity rate of 3%, where if they went above a 3%, they were going to have to shut down the schools. So 
we're still at 6.7% positivity, which is not a good place to be. We are still very firmly in the don't do anything to make this situation worse. And of course, the Gavinator went and did something to make the situation worse. The number of new tests that we're seeing day by day has had a couple of spikes going on uh, that have really been kind of all over the map. I think that this is, they're starting to get a, a handle of what to do now that the vaccine is being rolled out. But at the same time, it's still like, the testing has trailed off, which is not ideal for actually keeping track of what the hell's going on. In terms of the intensive care and other hospitalizations across the state for uh, COVID-19, we are seeing the ICU numbers beginning to drop. It's it's kind of following, as expected, the, the trend line of the other hospitalizations for COVID-19, which have dropped off significantly. We're down to around a little under 15,000 uh, hospitalized patients versus the peak at roughly 22, 21 and a half thousand uh, hospitalized patients mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago. Uh, the number of ICU patients is now hovering somewhere around 4,000, whereas it was at 5,000 at its peak. So it still has a ways to go before it has the same kind of a drop off that we've seen in other hospitalizations. When it comes to ICU bed availability, well, we're... And, and just just for just yep. to fill people out on, on what that means yeah, yeah, in yeah, terms yeah, of raw numbers, there are currently 87 available ICU beds in LA County. Now, obviously, that number fluctuates. It's based on like averages, but like there are less than 100 ICU beds in a county of of 11 million people um yeah that's not nearly enough icu beds that's no. that's really 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 scary it's better than it was um but based on what i've seen like when i go to the ground game office to like take in mask donations or like quartermaster or like medic supplies and stuff like today i, I drove down uh, melrose i decided i was going to take the the scenic route lots of people eating outside uh lots of people eating outside without their masks on apparently the whole hey you can sit at a table with only people from your family and you have to keep your mask on unless you're actively shoveling something into your mouth um people are surprisingly not following those directions chris um surprisingly not who could have so um i just have this i I don't know if it's going to be as bad as the like the holiday surge that we saw but i have a feeling we're going to see another like bump up here in another two to three weeks like it's going to keep doing that little bouncing thing that it does and we're really seeing this kind of like apartheid model where like if you're on the west side and you're white and you're wealthy you have a much better chance of getting vaccinated and protecting yourself. If you're brown or black, you live in South LA, you live out in East LA, uh, or hell, like if you live in San Bernardino County, they're just starting vaccinations now. Riverside County just starting vaccinations now. So like the wealthy parts of the city are definitely getting the care that they need, but they're not the people most at threat and they're not the people most likely to die. And they're not the people who live in places where hospitals are few and far between. Let's remember like MLK hospital Mm -hmm. serves all of South Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. all of South Los Angeles, even on a normal day, MLK is about 150% capacity because there are no other hospitals to take anyone to around there. Like the next hospital you can get to is long beach. So like we need to, we should have used this as a moment to like undo our apartheid healthcare system. And instead we just really leaned into that and to deadly effect. You know, I've seen a couple of good articles out there wondering like, what is the effect this is going to have on black and brown communities Mm -hmm. when you have a generation of like black and brown men dying? Like what is going to happen to those families? What's going to happen to the young men who are left without like father figures, without people who are professionals, people who have like, experience navigating the world what is going to happen when you're gutting these communities and i think the short easy and predictable answer is a shit ton more gentrification in all of those areas fuck 
Yeah. Um, so yep. the 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 when it comes to the uh, ICU bed reporting numbers, where we get these weird like calculated values that they come in to represent what is available, which you know it contrasts with that whole like uh, seeing a zero percent availability, uh, which was also a calculation versus the like you know the the graph that the LA Times has right now says that there's like 100 and something available ICU beds or 300 something available ICU beds in LA County which does not match up with other reported figures so it's all over the place but the uh currently the LA Times map graph is saying there are 1290 available ICU beds which it's useful for tracking the relative availability um because that at least the formula should be pretty consistent um, now that they've they've kind of settled into a groove here. So we can see that the availability is beginning to slowly tick up as the number of people who are in those ICU beds is slowly decreasing. Um, when we're looking at availability by region, again, this is with a different statistic uh, for the calculations. The San Joaquin Valley and Southern California are both still flatlined at zero. Northern California is up to almost 50% somehow because um, <laughs> there's just not that many people there. Uh, yep. they're, and they're spread very few and far between, which makes it a lot easier to avoid a pandemic. Uh, Greater Sacramento is hovering just below 10%, and the Bay Area is around 8.2%. Uh, so they're still both in the danger zone, but we're in the really bad danger zone here in Southern California, and so is the San Joaquin Valley. Uh, well, the, the other thing I'll say about yep. Northern California real quick before we move on is people who live up there are more likely to be elderly and much more likely to not have insurance. So, yeah. like, when those folks are getting sick, they're getting a lot sicker and they're a lot farther from help. And, like, we kind of tend to think of California as being, like, L.A., San Francisco, and San Diego and forget that, like, it's a massive state and, like, 50% of our population doesn't live in just those three major hubs or even around them in, like, our mega county of L.A. Yep. County. Like, there's a lot of people that live in those places, but there's also a lot of people who live in the far-flung, more, like, rural areas and Central Valley areas. Absolutely. Uh, so we're still seeing Lassen Imperial in Kings County as having the highest rates per capita uh, of COVID-19 infections. San Bernardino right behind them. L.A. is uh, in the top, what is that, three, seven, number seven. Uh, so we were briefly out of the top ten, but um, nope. We are thoroughly, squarely right smack in the middle uh, with a terrifying number. Although I, I'm, I will say that the, you know, Tulare County seems to be on the uh on the increase in a very scary way uh because they don't have that many people and they had another 725 new infections just today so that's not good um when well, i saw a video the other night of the governor of south dakota going to a rodeo and like getting a standing ovation for not like shutting down the state and nobody was wearing masks and i was just like so this is this is just like a, a death cult like at this point, like that's that's literally all we're seeing. Yep, absolutely. Uh, also, South Dakota shouldn't be a state. Just saying, they should. Have, South Dakota, North Dakota should have been one state. I mean, this is literally. I mean, no, no states should, no state should be states <laughs> on any level. But I get what you're saying. They no, they literally did it so they could get extra Senate seats. So uh, let's get some statehood going for D.C. and Puerto Rico and Guam and literally anywhere else that wants to be a state that we've uh, occupied as a colonial force for the last hundred and whatever yeah. years. Uh, anyway, uh, the number of deaths by day in the state of California really has not tapered off. Um, the seven-day average is hovering right around 550 or so. 
Uh, we're up to 41,025 deaths in the state due to the virus, 226 yesterday. Again, Sunday is the low day for reporting. 99 reported so far today. That will go up. On a happier note, uh, we're up to 3,523,111 111 vaccines having been administered in the state so far. 167,000 jabs were delivered yesterday, which is great. State prison numbers, still scary. Don't want to talk about it because I just get mad. Um, moving on to Los Angeles County, we are up to 1,121,107 confirmed cases of COVID-19 uh, as of 5.50 this evening. That's uh, 5,557. That's so many numbers, Chris. I know. I'm sorry. Like, that's so many. Yeah, it's 10% of the the, the county. Um, it's bad. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yeah, so there were 5,500 new cases reported yesterday. Um, the new case totals uh, have, have dropped off uh, significantly. Uh, we were at a seven, eight moving total at 15,000 for a while. And now we've dropped down to a little over a third of that at this point, which is great to see. And I, I do hope that that continues to climb, uh, in the right direction, which is descending. Uh, but, uh, as you mentioned, squirrel, the outdoor dining situation does not give me heart. I, I am not heartened by, the state of affairs of these these images of these packed, you know, curbside dining establishments. I mean, just just across the street from me. I mean, some of them, some of them, they're essentially just indoor restaurants that have been transplanted outside. Yeah, exactly. Like there's nothing outdoor about them. You're, yeah. You've got a bunch of people sitting in a tent where three sides of the tent are like closed, <laughs> and you have servers walking between packed tables. And like, I get the desire to want to make money, and like, yeah get people paid but at the same time like holy fuck no stop just pay everyone to stay home like just pay everyone to stay home it's a it's a proven proven method it is just get everyone a stimulus check and then every week we just pick a stock and we accelerate that stock and then we to all become moon. millionaires and then we don't have to worry about going to work ever again there i solved capitalism for yeah. you you're welcome god the system's so fucked <laughs> Um, I get mad every time I think about the fact that like Germany pays everybody like 2000 euros a month minimum, uh, and like Australia. So, so there was, there was a thing I just saw like a couple of hours ago where a single positive test in a city in Australia just popped up and they're just like, shut it all the fuck down right now. And it's just like, Oh, Oh, that's an idea. This novel concept of the vac of the the this deadly virus shows up in your community and you shut everything down to make sure that it's completely contained and that everything is tested everybody turns up multiple negative tests before you go back out there and let it kind of you know get back to normal it's almost like this concept that actually works it's like the epidemiologists know what they're doing and we just refuse to listen well, to them and with the with the new variants coming into like LA um, from you know we have South our Africa, own variant from the UK from Brazil yeah we also have our own variant here in LA like this stuff is super infectious this is not the time to be playing with fire by opening outdoor dining like this is the last time to be doing that especially because we know like with COVID you have effective immunity for like three to six months for mild to moderate symptoms and then like nine months maybe as far as a year if you had like really severe symptoms we're coming up on the one year anniversary so that means all of the effective immunity is about run out at this point wow. like 
this is when we're in the like reinfection danger zone and there's a lot of people out there who are like oh i already got it once i i should be okay i'm i'm immune for life and you're like no that's not that's not how these work this is not the way that the coronavirus works in your body oh shit well uh hospitalization here in la county is better than it was uh, we peaked at around 8,000 people being hospitalized uh, in addition to the ICU stuff. Uh, and those numbers are now dropping down to around 5,000. Uh, the ICU utilization was almost at, you know, it was what, 15-ish, 1,500 or so. Um, hospitalizations now is down to around 1,200. The number of available ICU beds per this calculation is 327, which it's we've at least flatlined and we're no longer going down. Uh, which is good. But again, as Squirrel pointed out, we have 87 beds across all of L.A. County, uh, which does not drive with this number, but that's okay. Uh, the important thing here is that per our standards that we established for ourselves earlier, our adjusted case rate is currently at 48.2. It should be down to a 7 before we're in a not holy fuck, everything is destroyed and we're going to all die category. Um, the positivity rate is still at 14% here in LA County. It needs to be below 8% mm -hmm. before we can move into tier two. And the equity index also needs to move below 8.0. We're currently sitting at a whopping 18.3. Like these, all of these charts are just drawn in such a way that you realize, oh, they really just made up these numbers at some point, And I'm sure they did mean something, but now we are so far beyond them that the category of the tier one category, they just extended it to cover the numbers that we are seeing rather than the numbers that we are targeting for the various stages of reopening. So, but, but Chris, the, the number 18 has an eight in it. So that's pretty close <laughs> to, you know, I yeah, know math. No, I, I swear. I know not, math. That's, that's not how this works, girl. Um, we're up to uh, 16,857 deaths in the county due to the virus, 118 yesterday. Despite the recent drops in new cases, the seven-day average here in L.A. County is still around 220 deaths per day at this point. We have seen multiple days in the last couple of weeks with 300 or more deaths per day. It's bad. It's still very bad. I mean, what that's... Stop it. What that's kind of telling me is that even though we're testing less... We're still seeing just as many infections of vulnerable people. Yeah. Like, even though we're seeing fewer cases per day because people are getting tested a hell of a lot less than they were two weeks ago, the number of people being checked into a hospital and then not walking out has remained pretty constant that entire time. Like, we're off the highs of, like, 350 deaths a day, but an average of 220 deaths a day is still a lot. Like, on an average day in L.A. County, 170 people die. We're still exceeding that with coronavirus deaths, yep. and those 170 people are still also dying. Like, we're still not through that surge. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, everything is completely fucked. Uh, please stay home if you can. Uh, do not go out and dine out at restaurants as much as you might want to. Please, please, please do not do that because it is extremely dangerous, and we are not anywhere close to being uh, in the position for that to start happening up again. So uh, yeah. with that... Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's pull in Terry. All right. Well, uh, Terry, what's up, Terry? How are doing you all well doing? Yourself? Congratulations on good, good. Congratulations on your new variant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exciting times. Oh, we're fucked. <laughs> we've got we've got like you know great things that LA has produced. We got like Dove Charney. 
We've got our own coronavirus variant. Just all of this, all of this good stuff. Yay. Yeah, so this is, this is super fun. So, uh, Terry, we were going to talk about the vaccine rollout and the absolute clusterfuck that it is here in uh, the city of in city and county of L.A. Um, and I think let's actually I'm going to switch to another layout here uh, and bring up the uh, reporting. Here we go. So we can actually see the number of doses that have been administered. Uh, we're up to 790,902 yeah. doses as of uh, a week ago. <laughs> uh, second dose is at 124,163. Uh Give us some context here, Terry. Uh, that just, I, I, it looks bad. I mean, it does not look like there are that is very many doses at all. Um, I haven't been following California's like total vaccine mm-hmm. allocation uh, numbers very closely at, at all. Uh, <clears throat> I keep getting emails. I'm in New York right now. Uh, I keep getting emails from our fabulous governor who gives yours a run mm-hmm. for his money. Uh, celebrating the fact that, like, I guess 90% of of New York's uh, allocated doses have been administered so far. So it sounds good, but that to think, are they getting delivered to people who are most exposed to the virus? Are they getting uh, delivered to the people who are at most at risk of severe illness? Um, can we trust any of the numbers here when uh, 50% of the deaths uh, nursing home deaths have not been reported uh due to a little uh, accounting sleight of hand so uh it's it's a mess yeah uh also there was something there was some headline i just saw about the fact that uh, your governor um calls people experts with scare quotes um and uh has repeatedly fired a whole bunch of them and is not actually listening to the science when it comes to literally anything at this point no, and they're well. The ones that haven't been fired have been have resigned uh, because they were sidelined and denigrated publicly. And it, the reason it's worthwhile talking about New York a little bit on a Los Angeles podcast is that the the similarities between the, the two governors. I mean, these are two people who abrogate power to a centralized to themselves, and then think that they are going to be the ones who can who are, are going to either solve everything or at least uh, serve the interests of those they represent. I mean, with the, the real interests they mm-hmm. represent money. Uh, watching the, the, the graphs before the, uh, before I came on it, you know, it's great. There was, there was a peak <clears throat> and now falling drastically off of that peak. Hey, when, when what you're doing seems to be starting to work, let's start that. That's the time to do the opposite. Right. Um, and in, in New York, what ha- what happens is, uh, you know, Cuomo is bankrolled by by industry, and uh, his, he's listening to the the healthcare lobbyists. So rather than at a county level, like all the vaccines, the centralized hub for the vaccines were hospitals, and hospitals have there there we there is a county health department, right? I mean, there are county health departments, and yet they go to hospitals that have no experience in this kind of crisis, you know, wide scale crisis management uh, and trying to get a vaccine. I mean, <clears throat> I'm actually scheduled. I have an, I have a scheduled appointment for March 3rd. Getting that appointment <clears throat> was a was a mess. No, it was, it was a nightmare. It was a uh, it was a mess here in L.A. It took me two weeks of trying Jesus. to get an appointment. And I ended up going to a private clinic that just happened to be offering them. Um, 
I'm trying to help out a couple of seniors, like um, some parents of some friends of mine who live in LA and getting seniors an appointment right now is pretty impossible. Like every time I go to the website, it's just like, yeah, no, try again tomorrow. We'll send you an email update. Well, so speaking of uh, private clinics, I think this is a good point to jump in and and mention that uh, Claudia Prosciutto was uh, pointing out that um, there has been a bit of a fuck up. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. Uh, with the city of LA's administration of these vaccines, quote, due to software limitations, the city was unable to collect phone and email information for the 2,825 of the 19,784 individuals vaccinated between December 30th and January 9th at the Lincoln Park, Crenshaw Christian Center, Hanson Dam, and San Fernando Park sites, and they were directed to make their second dose appointments through the county appointment website. Whoops. Uh, the city has well, see, allocated. That's the, that's the thing is like, I, I, I just made my appointment the day of, like they gave me the jab yeah. and they're like, go to the desk and make your appointment now. And they also have me wait around for a few minutes. They're like, all right, we're going to make sure you don't like die of anaphylactic shock. And then like, once you're good, go make your next appointment. And I don't understand why the County didn't do that and just book the appointment then. Like it's pretty easy to do the math as far as how many doses you need to keep on hand for that shit. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a giant disaster. And then uh, speaking of uh, vaccination rates and everything, uh, the firefighters who were the ones who were supposed to be administering the vaccinations at a lot of these sites or were being entrusted with the rollout of at least the mobile vaccination sites, nearly half. This is the headline from the L.A. Times. Nearly half of L.A. firefighters unvaccinated against COVID-19 revised city data show. Uh, the first paragraph was only 55% of the city's firefighting forces shown up to receive a coronavirus shot, a lower number than originally announced. Los Angeles Fire Department officials said on Monday, this is Ben Welsh and Dakota Smith reporting on this uh, today. Uh, Chief Ralph M. Terrazas said in a statement to the LA Times that the department, quote, reconciled its vaccination numbers across various software platforms. In uh, end quote in the last few days and determined that 1,842 of the roughly 3,400 rank and file firefighters have volunteered to be inoculated since shots started on December 28th. Uh, they had earlier reported that 60% of firefighters had been vaccinated. Whoopsies, uh, it it wasn't it, it wasn't 60%. Um, so yeah, it's it's good to see that our uh, you know the people who were relying upon to be on the front line for this stuff have somehow just decided that they don't need to be vaccinated. Well, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate. And Terry, you can probably speak to this. Like one thing you find out when you get into like emergency medical services and stuff is it's pretty reactionary. Like it's not as reactionary as the cops are, but a lot of the people, especially like the very masculine, like macho firefighter, uh, stereotype, it, like it still holds true in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And that's like a real problem here. Like we have LAPD not wearing masks. We have LA fire department where like, they don't trust the science that's coming out. A lot of them, I don't think are really reading it. Um, and they're not really modeling the behavior that you want to see being modeled by people that are in that position. That that's absolutely true. Uh, I was, excuse me, <clears throat> going to mention, uh, one of my, my friends who's a current firefighter in the, in the Chicago area, Last time I saw him saying that there's there's no possible way that he's going to get the vaccine when it comes out. This was a few months ago. Um, vaccine reluctance is real. I mean, in his case, he's a person of color. That kind of compounds things. I and mean, there's a long history of experimenting on 
people of color. Uh, they've got the the rollout or the the entire operation warp speed that implies uh, cutting corners. Uh, you know, so trying to get people to be on board with this, even people who are picking up, I mean, he's picking up COVID patients every day uh, and he and still reluctant. So and then what Squirrel was saying about the uh, it, it is it is a, it, it's not what you want to think uh, about the about the fire department. Uh, but that those are the elements that are there. Yeah. Uh, well, so there's also this really, uh, <clears throat> terrifying story that you had sent us earlier, Terry, um, about the sad state of affairs, given that nobody knows what the fuck is going on and the availability of the vaccine is so limited that people are hopping from vaccine vaccination site to vaccination site, hoping to get leftover doses uh, at the end of the day. And I, I was hearing about a number of people who had un unfortunately been unable to even uh, get in there and get their uh, scheduled vaccine because uh, they, they had run out of jabs at multiple sites um, around LA. And, you know, there were these 80 something year old people who were uh, just not able to get in and get their jab, even though they had an appointment. Well, and that's, that's one thing, like I noticed on the county website, they're mainly offering the Pfizer vaccine. And the problem with the Pfizer vaccine is it's stored so super cool that you have to be really careful. Like once you unfreeze it, you only have like a two to three hour window where it's still good. So like you have to be really spot on the numbers there. Like there was a quote where Garcetti said, hey, you know, we had like 60 doses left over. So we called LAPD and said, send over 60 of your officers and we'll give them the shot. And with Moderna, you have a little bit longer time. Like it doesn't take as much time to unfreeze. So you don't have to be a spot on on the numbers. But at the same time, like this shouldn't be all that complicated for a city and a county as big and as wealthy as L.A. County. Like California is like the wealthiest state in the nation. And we're dead fucking last when it comes to the vaccine rollout. Like we, we our elected leaders keep bragging about how we're a tech city and a tech state and a tech county. And then when it comes to actually using that technology to protect Angelinos, they just can't seem to fucking figure it out. And it's just like, I know it's complicated, but that's that's what we pay you for. Yeah. Like when my plumber shows up and is like, hey, this is a really hard problem. I'm like, well, yes. And there's a reason I called you to deal with this hard problem. <laughs> you ostensibly have some expertise in the area. Yeah. Well, the the logistics the logistics are so bad that there's both a, a, a vast shortage and scarcity, as well as a surplus at the same time. That we you only have a limited number of doses, and then once you unfreeze the Pfizer vaccine, there's that the clock starts ticking. With the Moderna vaccine, the, the the problem is a little different. The I guess the vials are supposed to contain five doses, but depending on how that vial was filled. They're fine. The, the clinicians are finding that they can sometimes get a sixth dose out of a vial. And so they end up with a couple of extras. And so the, what, what you were pointing out, right? Like if the shift supervisor at Foot Locker knows how to use an on-call list to cover shortages, uh, that there's no reason that the county health department you know, officials can't do that, that same thing. Maybe you call in people a, a little bit early in the morning or, or whatever, but just follows in, in these what? people that are, are are haunting the uh, you know the 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 sites so that they you know on the off chance 
It just follows an exact logic of, I mean, neoliberalism in a nutshell, in that you are, you know, oh, we're going to open the whole state, restaurants and, and sh- stores are open, but it's your responsibility to be safe, what right? I- it's your responsibility. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, yeah, and then with the vaccine, it's like, okay, well, we've got these vaccines and we have to get everybody vaccinated, but it's your responsibility to go find the shot, right? Yeah. And that's a complete failure. Well, I think, you know, one idea that came to my mind was, like, for these young people that are able to spend, you know, like, two to six hours a day just standing in line waiting to see if an extra shot's available, like, put them to volunteer work. Like... Say, hey, there are seniors out there who need to get the shot. Like, if you can give four people a ride to and from one of these facilities, or if you can, like, help do admin work, or you can help check people in, if you can fill the volunteer roles that we need to make this operation work, then you can get your shot. Like, that's how my family in Phoenix, my sister and my brother-in-law got the shot, is they volunteered for 10 hours each at a vaccine facility and then got the shot. Like, that's a better way to do it. And both of them are immunocompromised. And both of them, like my sister's, a, she does remote work, but my brother-in-law is a teacher. Like he's got decent exposure to it and they have an immunocompromised kid at home. Like they're well within the danger zone and they still had to do just a little bit of volunteering. And I think the county could have like relied on that rather than this like, you know, waiting for Coachella tickets kind of bullshit. And this like, you know, I think one thing that people don't understand and like Terry, you can, you can, you know, kind of like, support me a little on this i think is that the vaccine right now we don't know whether it decreases transmission Mm -hmm. we do know that it decreases mortality and decreases getting severely ill that's why elderly people that's why frontline workers that's why healthcare workers are supposed to be at the front of the line is because those are the people who are most likely to die and the people that we can't have affording to die like we have lost a thousand or so nurses across this country since this started. Like we need nurses during a fucking pandemic. So when I see people who are not like in those danger groups who are young and healthy and could wait for a few more months to get the shot, lining up and getting a shot when they're directly competing with people who are vulnerable, it really fucking bothers me. It really puts me in a state where I'm like, you could just fucking wait or you could do something good with your time. If you have six fucking hours to sit around waiting for a shot, you have six fucking hours to volunteer and help someone. Just Jesus Christ. And that's the, and that's not the conversation that anyone is hearing on like NPR or or network television, where the debate is the bioethic debate is between risk of of severe illness or death versus risk of exposure oh should we we maybe we should give all the essential workers the vaccine and we you never hear that uh somebody chime in and say oh but it it might not do what you think it's going to do because it might not decrease transmission and decreasing transmission is possibly not going to happen until we reach herd immunity and so keep people alive well but even then like you know if this is like the flu there is no getting to herd immunity over a long period of time. We'll just have to keep getting booster shots because the virus is going to mutate and we're just going to have to live with effective immunity that's going to transition out. And that's just like where we're at now. You know, viruses have been around on this planet longer than we have. They're probably going to be around a lot longer than we have. If you've ever read Galapagos by uh, Kurt Vonnegut, you know what I'm talking about. We're all just the transmission point for some germs to keep flying through the universe. Um, And all of humanity is a joke. So, you know, there we go. Uh, But yeah, I think... I feel like we've yelled about vaccines for for well, quite a but, quite a uh, a while here. But before we move on, it is worth pointing out that um, the county did fuck up badly enough that California state has 
decided to hire Anthem Blue Cross to administer vaccinations from here on out. So uh, the county has lost control. Uh, this is we're hoping that this might lead to something that's a bit more of a predictable and smoother process overall. But uh, for example, one of the things that's worth pointing out here is that on January 29th, L.A. County opened up 25,000 slots and those were booked out within two hours. So, uh, yeah, we, we don't that's, I don't think we have to go through the various um, offerings of which vaccines are available and their efficacy rates and everything else. Um, but it is fun to remember that Biden's promised over 100 million vaccinations. I believe he actually said not just within the first year, but actually within the first hundred days. Um, and I huh. don't think that that's huh. going to that fucking is, happen. I'm, I'm bad at math, but yeah. I'm not that mm. bad at math. Biden is. You know things. You know things are going well when you get a turn to anthem fucking blue cross. <laughs> oh no. Well, and it's like, and the state taking over, like, that will probably improve things. It'll at least mean that this county by county, like, variation yeah. is not going to be the, like, the 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 way that things go from here. Because that's been an absolute clusterfuck. But, like, why did we have to wait, like, 40 days for that to happen? Like, in mid-December when they rolled out the vaccine, why couldn't this be the plan? Like, why why couldn't, like... God damn it, Gavin. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I know we shouldn't recall Gavin Newsom. Like, that would be bad, and that would be opening up a whole hornet's nest. I'm not advocating recalling Gavin Newsom, but, like, I really have to, like, stop myself from puking into my mouth every time I say that because he's so just absolutely worthless. Uh, it's also worth pointing out this this little sidebar that you're having uh, in the chat uh, with uh, Abolish the Olympics on Twitch talking about the fact that our very smart and excellent mayor uh, who promised not to cut the line uh, and get his vaccine when he would be otherwise eligible for it, uh, who is 49 years old, presumably pretty healthy, has not admitted to, like has not publicly disclosed that he has any underlying health conditions that would necessitate his uh, hopping in front of all of the seniors, uh, did so anyway because he is a hypocritical sack of shit. Um, and uh, he can go fuck himself. Um, but before we move on, the last thing I wanted to talk about is this graph, uh, or rather the map coming from the New York Times, because uh, they are reporting on the fact that we are so fucked. Um, we we uh, we're, we're fucked. We're absolutely fucked. Those those weird left coasters with their artisanal covid strains and their their <laughs> avocado vaccines chris <laughs> yeah we're fucked uh yeah so basically this map points out uh something that shouldn't be too surprising to anyone uh the poorer areas of the city of los angeles are being fucking devastated by covid19 and the richer areas are largely not uh you can see this very closely when let me see if i can move zoom in a little bit and let's see i'm trying to look at two things at once you can see up here in the the poorer areas angeles national forest is doing great by I, the way well yeah so like they they've got uh 26 cases in total which is one in 48 people uh so not bad oh wow the median income is ninety three thousand dollars in los angeles national forest uh fun story but when you look into neighborhoods like coming on down here into south la and you see like the median household income of 53,000 and it's 98% non-white and or Hispanic uh, here in Linwood, one in six people uh, have contracted and confirmed to have contracted the virus. One in 407 people have died from the virus. 
Uh, you see the same kind of thing happening in Bell Gardens and again over in Kudahi and in East L.A. Like this is these are areas of the city of Los Angeles and, the, and, and that are just being completely devastated by this virus. And it's disproportionately impacting the neighborhoods that are poor. When you look over at Westchester with a median income of one hundred and five thousand, you know, it's one in 24 cases uh, one in 24 people having been confirmed with cases, and the deaths are only at one in 1,389. You know, less than a quarter of the rate that we're seeing. It's it's so fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, the, this map literally is just like, show me show me the uh, show me the poor districts of the city of LA that make them darker purple, uh, and it lines up pretty much one to one. So yeah, on that horrifically depressing note uh let's well the, what was that well let's let's to, move on to, to te- i was going to tease ahead to the to the mm. end of the show and this map will, will show you where there are no train lines uh because it turned out that the metro board was stuck with an extra 300 million dollars yeah and like a dog that finally caught the car uh, they didn't know what to do with it. So they were going to do some dumb shit like hire more cops. And a whole bunch of community groups got together and were like, we have a better idea. Why don't you bring back the fucking buses you took away? And they sort of did that. They're not spending all $300 million bringing back buses, but they are restoring some of the service cuts. So let's talk about this coverage coming out of Knockdown LA, written by Kendall Kaufman in a really great story. Make sure to check it out. It's a, it's a really good read. It's dense. It's got some good numbers. It's got some fun pictures, but it's also just... Really, really important work. Yeah, so a little bit of context here. In 1996, the Bus Writers Union and the Strategy Center won a civil rights consent decree settlement uh, around these issues, which is the largest ever civil rights settlement uh, of this type. Metro agreed to make a $2 billion investment in the bus system over 10 years with federal oversight. The MTA bought, quote, a whole lot of new buses, lowered the bus fare. Uh, we've got 2,500 new compressed natural gas buses instead of diesel. We got a million extra hours of service. It was great. The buses got less overcrowded. The buses came on time. Ridership went up 20% right away because, of course, it did. If the buses come sooner yep. and the buses cost less, you're going to ride the bus. This is basically a quote from Eric Mann, who was the founder and director of Community Strategy Center uh, and also the founder and co-chair yeah, of no, the bus I, I remember when that change came over and, like, a commute for me – went from like almost nine dollars like round trip to working back yeah. to uh, uh like three fifty. Ah. Like it was it was like it was so good to suddenly be able like I just tap once and I can get all the way to work on a buck seventy five and I can tap again and I can get all the way home after work. Um and only only very occasionally like if a bus was super late would I have to tap a third time because like that weird stupid two hour timer ran out. Gotcha. So after the consent decree and the federal oversight expired in 2006, Metro cut a million hours of bus service over the next few years. And this was uh, as of 2011. In October, uh, the Metro board voted to cut service by a further 20% below the pre-pandemic levels and to cut the budget by $1.2 billion. Uh, so, you know, this doesn't... like Compounding all of this is the fact that the people who rely on transit are also the people who are most impacted by COVID. Uh, like there's like 
a lot of overlap there. Roughly 76% of lower income workers cannot do their job through telework. Meanwhile, nearly 35% of rail riders and 60% of Metro's bus riders have an annual income under $20,000. In Los Angeles County, as of 2015, black people make up 8% of the population and 18% of transit riders, yet only 8% of black people in the county live near a bus stop. Black and Latinx people are twice as likely to die from COVID than white people. Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders people are five times as likely to die from COVID than white people and ride transit rates at rates relatively proportionate to their population. Um, so it's also Metro also approved a security plan worth nearly $800 million in 2017. Meanwhile, it would cost around 250 to $300 million to provide free fucking transit. Like, this is something that cannot be stated yep. enough, is that Metro is a landlord. They are the largest landlord in Southern California. They make a shitload of money off of being landlords, and that is what covers almost all of their costs. The actual fare collection is fucking chump change for them. They could literally just offer it and all yet, for free. And, and yet... They like they spend so much money. I think it was like a billion dollars they were spending on LAPD and yep. LASD contracts over the span of a couple of years, mainly for fair hopping when they knew they didn't need it. And that was just a way to police black and brown bodies. Like I watched people I've worked with in organizing spaces who are white walk right through a turnstile and have the cops not bat an eye and yet like get on that same train and any person who looks unhoused and particularly a black unhoused person, oh hey, let me see your tap card. Yep. Okay, you know what? We're getting off at this next stop. We're going to we need to talk to you. And it's like, you know, like it's pretty Yeah. It's easy to see what the point of enforcement was. Yeah, and we've actually also seen people die as a result of fair collection. Like there was uh an instance I believe I'm trying to remember I I forgot his name and I I feel like shit about that, but uh there was oh the the man in uh, Long Beach. Yeah, he was literally killed in a struggle with the police, who basically just pushed him onto the rails, um, allegedly. So, yeah, uh, it's over a buck seventy five. Like, I, I I'm completely at a loss for like how do you how do you justify that when it is such a small portion of the cost of their is such a small portion of their annual budget comes from fair collection. And they also spend a ton of money putting in all the hardware to do fair collection in the first place. Like, just rip, yeah. rip all that shit out, make it free, make it accessible, make it friendly. Spend a fraction of the money that you're spending on fair collection on putting in, you know, community ambassadors, people who can, like, give you advice of, oh, hey, yeah, if you're trying to get to this location, you don't want to take the subway. You want to go take the buses. Take this bus to this bus to this bus. That'll get you to where you need to go. Imagine how much friendlier this place would be for everyone. I remember, I remember them bragging about putting uh, like social workers into the the fair collection teams and like the security teams with the cops. I remember seeing one of them one day, and their job was like to do outreach and stuff. But the dude was dressed like a cop, like he was wearing tactical pants. He had the the you know windbreaker on. He had like a backpack with a bunch of molly straps, and you just sort of looked at him and you're like, if I was somebody who needed mental health like help, I would not see you as somebody friendly to talk to. Like you look like a cop. Why would I trust you? Why would I want to work with you or assume that you've got my best intentions in mind? You just seem like you're a different kind of cop with these people. And there's some cities that have invested heavily in this, but not nearly enough. Yep. Like, Lhasa is completely underfunded. Like, not that Lhasa is perfect, but 
shit, it would do, it would go a long way to just have more LASA counselors, just to have more psychologists Absolutely. and more social workers. And we definitely have the money for it. You know, we have $150 million from LAPD and shit, if we fire half the cops, we've got like more than a billion dollars there. And <laughs> based on the really fucked up pay rates of this country, social workers cost a lot less than a cop, even though a social worker has to go to school for a hell of a lot longer than a cop does. But allowing uh, certain populations to move freely through the city is not how you build an apartheid state. <laughs> God damn. Fuck Beverly Hills. Fuck Beverly Hills and their blocking of metro expansion because they don't want the poors coming into their fucking little strip mall shopping thing on Rodeo. Fuck all that bullshit. But I'm then, sorry. But then, Chris... Chris, we might blow up Beverly Hills High School. <laughs> if anybody has not seen the videos, uh, just Google, uh, I believe it's, if you just Google gas explosion Beverly Hills High School, um, you'll probably find it. It looks like full-blown something from uh, the North Korean propaganda department, uh, roughly the same production values. It is truly one of the greatest hits of the Los Angeles uh, fuck your transportation uh, industry, which does absolutely exist. Uh, and it's mainly just a bunch of rich white assholes that live in Beverly Hills and really yeah. hate poor people. And the the, the Beverly Hills uh, high school PTA spent like $180,000 fighting that train. They eventually lost. So we are getting the purple line going through there. Uh, you know, not until 2025. So don't start queuing yep. up yet. But... Let's uh well, let's move on to our that, last story well, real bef quick. Before oh. we move on, I just wanted to highlight one little final point here, which is that uh, I love trains. You love trains. We all love trains. Trains are great. But when it comes to the equity situation, the buses are really where it's at. Like the city yeah. of Los Angeles, the county of Los Angeles, we do not have train access for poor communities like fucking anywhere. We could have buses and we should have buses, and we did have some buses, and then we cut a bunch of those buses. And it's always the buses that are that, that are on the chopping block first and foremost whenever Metro is making cuts. And that is absolutely fucked, and it needs to be reversed. We need to be expanding our bus services dramatically, giving them more dedicated bus lanes so that the buses can run more frequently and be on time and uh, not get stuck in all of this traffic with sh shitty single occupancy vehicles that get in the way. Like, they are the traffic. The buses shouldn't be stuck in traffic. Give them dedicated bus lanes. Fucking everywhere. They work great. Uh, that's yeah. my soapbox, and now I'm off of it. Take it away, squirrel. Oh, nope, Terry, first. That way. Yeah, go ahead, Terry. Well, I just wanted to tie, tie that dis distinction between train and bus back to a labor yeah. issue, right? Because to have a, a to have a bus on a road, you have to have a driver. You can have, you know, the multiple cars in the on the train. And so it's real easy once you've made the you know, capital investment of the, of the compressed national gas bus. And then once that's paid off, well, then you just shopping block for the drivers. And then you have no yep. more buses. And honestly, that was part of what fed LA's desire to build more trains was you don't have to hire as many drivers and they just didn't want to keep feeding into the pension. Um, and another thing that they were talking about was the, the cost of road repairs. But like, we don't repair roads in this city anyways. So that was kind of a bullshit one. But <laughs> a lot of what was driving their planning long term was they're like, we just don't want to hire as many drivers. And like, again, you look at 
who the drivers tend to be. You know, they aren't the kids who go to Harvard Westlake. No. They tend to be like working class black and brown people. So like, why would you give them a good union job with a stable pension? Like, why would you allow that? sector of the economy to um, grow off of a necessary public service. It's just all sorts of fucking evil. This this is the legacy of Eric Garcetti. Just throwing that out there. Oh, I mean, this was this was long before Eric Garcetti. Like this was this was long before him, as much as I dislike Eric. But I'm, I'm still going to throw this was him Via Ragosa. This was yeah, this was Han. This was Via Ragosa. This was all of the shitty mayors that came before absolutely, him. Absolutely. Um, but but Eric obviously didn't change that. Let's move on to uh, talking about GameStop real quick. So like I said, we're not going to like this is another great evil. Um, (laughs) We're not going to talk about what short selling and all that bullshit is um, because you've probably learned all of that. Every every news station on the the nation, every news like program in the country has covered it. But instead, I want to just kind of talk a little bit about like as fun as I think it is to like headhunt hedge funds. And this is coming from somebody who worked in finance, like as fun as that is. And as much as I want to see the head funds like eat shit and a bunch of rich people lose money. I don't think this is a, like a good path to liberation. I think it's an interesting historical moment, but I don't think like we're going to rocket our way to the moon out of like this capitalist bullshit. And you know, for a number of reasons, like one, when you're looking at GameStop today, it's a 225 bucks. So it lost a hundred dollars a share just in one day. That is some wild price fluctuation. That is 30% of its value. Just gone in a day now it might recover a bit but it's getting harder and harder to like buy shares it's also getting harder and harder to find platforms that are going to to allow you to sell to buy those shares and sell those shares on it Robinhood has restricted a lot of trading TD Ameritrade has a lot of brokerages are just like if you call them to buy GameStop they're like you know what we don't feel like fulfilling that order go find someone else who's going to do that Mm -hmm. for you but we're also I think hitting a liquidity point where the people who are investing in this only had so much money to buy into it and so when a stock's going up it's not just based on how many people are buying in at what price point right it's how quickly those people are piling in like there's complicated math that sets those price points. So as the amount of money flooding in begins to slow down, as the acceleration curve slopes down, the the trading algorithms are like, oh, this stock is actually not worth as much as what people were paying for it. We're going to trail it off. And you have companies like BlackRock that are able to trade billions of shares in an instant with really complicated proprietary algorithms running on servers, just sitting in rooms, whose job is to basically be an AI that has learned to trade stocks by trading stocks against other AIs who trade stocks. Mm -hmm. Like, that's where we're at. And the retail investor is always going to be swamped by that. Like, the reason I don't think you can crash the entire market with this strategy is because the amount of money that's sitting there on the retail investor side versus the institutional side is night and day. And like the little guy can swing a pretty decent hammer once or twice, but you can't do that consistently. And the law of diminishing returns begins to kick in. That being said, it is pretty fun to see like Citadel Capital lose half of its capitalization. Like half of their money is just fucking gone. $7 billion just wiped off the planet. They can't get loans to buy new stuff, but they're also a hedge fund. Hedge funds are called that because they hedge their bets. That's literally their job, is when they take a risky position, they buy a more stable, a safer position to hedge their bets so there's not complete losses. Like, short selling is dangerous because there's nearly infinite downside theoretically. You know, if if you get a stock and it's at $10 and i say you know what i'm going to i'm going to short sell that stock and i'm going to i'm going to bet on it going to 7 and that stock goes up to $100 well then i'm fucked i owe all that money above the $10 that i i borrowed the stock at 
I'm wiped out. The other risky side of it is when you're buying into puts and calls, and those are options. And that's where the real money happens here is because the options market means that your value or the value of those contracts can accelerate much more quickly and much higher than the actual asset you're betting on, right? Like if Chris and Terry are playing a game of poker and I want to bet on Chris and Chris has $100 on the table, I can make side bets worth 100 times that. So when Chris loses that hand, I didn't lose $100. I lost $10,000. I lost $100,000. And that's where the derivatives market really gets scary because it's A, complicated, B, not everybody can buy into it, and C, moves at a lightning pace. Like that's why Deutsche Bank and all these other big institutional investors are literally existential threats to certain economies on this planet, like the EU namely, because their notional derivatives exposure is greater than the amount of money in the EU. Like if all their bets go bad at once, the EU doesn't have enough money to pay it off. Now you're going to ask, who are they paying that money off to? And I'm going to say, shut up. This is capitalism. That's a stupid question. <laughs> Debt is something real. No, it's not. Debt is completely made up and it's bullshit. But that's what the whole system is based on. And the threat of that bankruptcy, the threat of that breakage driving the whole thing forward. That's what the GameStop thing kind of like cuts against to an extent is it's the little guy saying, hey, this bullshit game you made up, we can game it in certain ways. But the entrance into that on a, system on a systemic level is always going to be somewhat blunted. So, moving on real quick to the next issue, is there going to be a short in silver? Like, is that what we're seeing next? Because there's this idea that, like, gold and silver are actual, more real value. And I'm going to, I have to do this because of Sarbanes-Oxley, and we're, like, real journalists, is, like, I do own gold ETFs in my retirement fund. Like, I have invested in silver. So, I'm not going to tell you whether to buy or sell silver. I'm not going to tell you to do anything. But I do have to mention that, like, hey, I do have a financial interest in that stuff because, like, I would like to retire one day. But short-squeezing silver is seen as kind of, like, this crown because silver as a real asset could ostensibly bring down things like the dollar, mm -hmm. right? When we talk about the price of gold going up, it's not that gold gets more valuable, mm -hmm. right? Gold is always worth what gold is worth, but it's that the dollars you're buying the gold worth with are worth less. Yep. So when you're buying things like precious metals, when you're betting on a surge in precious metals, what you're actually betting on is the weakness of fiat currency. So that's why things like Bitcoin are an existential threat to this system because they're a bet against government-backed fiat currency. And that's I, good and bad in a lot of ways, right? But it's also this extrapolation of value that a lot of people are entering into for the first time that's going to explode in ways that we can't predict. Maybe silver goes to 1,000. Maybe silver goes to 10. Maybe a whole bunch of people on a Reddit board end up with a bunch of silver coins that they can't offload for the next 20 years and lose their house because all of their value is locked up, locked up in a speculative asset that they can't do anything with. But what we're seeing is this idea that small people with smart bets can cause big changes in the market and can exploit these algorithmic trading systems to cause pain to the larger institutional investors, which is cool, except... The larger institutional investors aren't the ones who bear the brunt of that pain. That pain ultimately feeds out to the real economy. That's where things get kind of scary for me is when we're at a very vulnerable, very vulnerable economic period, how are these retail investors going to make out? How many of them go bust before we have we see real economic consequences? And what happens if Wall Street decides, you know what, fuck you, it's hammer down time. 
We're just going to change the rules on you because the New York Stock Exchange, the NASDAQ, all of these places, they're private operations. They're private businesses. They're not government institutions. There are rules and regulations out there, but they change them whenever the fuck they want. After Black Tuesday or after Black Monday in 1987, they said, hey, if the market drops more than 5% in 10 minutes, we're just going to stop trading. That's capitalism. You lost too much money too quickly. We, we're just going to put the brakes on. And that's the kind of shit we're going to see from here on mm -hmm. out is the government has a vested interest in keeping these large institutional investors afloat for a number of reasons. They're going to kowtow to their interests. The retail investor is going to get screwed. I don't know what the path to liberation is from here, but I don't think it's through toxic Reddit boards like Wall Street Bets, where like they call each other the R word and throw around misogyny because they're real cool guys who eat chicken tendies and feel like all of my college roommates who never grew the fuck up. Like those aren't the people who will lead us to liberation. They're fun pranksters. And this has been like a cool thing to watch, but like there's a, there's a short tail on this. And that's where my fear kind of kicks in is how many of the people who are buying into this and talking about hodling the line are going to end up holding the bag yep. and not be able to recover. So that's all I'm going to rant about this now. Those are, those are some good. Uh, Thank you for listening. Good, good little holding uh, throw-ins there. I, I appreciated that. Oh, we we forgot to mention the fact that uh, LAPD um, decided to hold a gate closed at the vaccination site at um oh my god we forgot to talk about it. let's close on that video oh, god it's sure. so bad okay. and then they lied about it yeah all right well let's i'm all i'm all upset about things now chris i i you, that, that that happens it, it does happen um all right well let me let me get this video up and running again and voila all right so um i yeah we we should absolutely be talking about this so um, this is reporting out of Samuel Braslow, uh, who was there and recorded this on his iPhone, apparently, because it's Twitter for the iPhone that posted it. Uh, at Dodger Stadium this afternoon, I'm quoting here, police temporarily stopped vaccinations in response to around 40 anti-vaccine protesters at the entrance. You are submitted to the I don't want to be a GMO human. This is some crazy shit. Don't be sheep to the slaughter. Wow. I mean, that one guy's sign just has too much written on it. Like, <laughs> a sign needs to be short and snappy and readable from a distance. And if you've got, like, a paragraph of text, like, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Um, so it's worth pointing out that... You're going to be waiting in this, line, so just check out the ingredients. Just trying to tell them to check, check out, out the ingredients. ingredients. You know what mRNA is? <laughs> what? When you don't know what mRNA is, so you, you just like, you, you you know, yell about stuff. Oh my God. It has an N and an A, clearly. <laughs> They're both nucleic acid. Oh, they don't actually probably know that. Anyway. Um, yeah, shit's wild. So it was a huge impact, like shutting everything down. They did try to promote 
their point of view and give out flyers to people, which is kind of wild. Um, but here's the kicker. This is this is the this is the important. Uh, this is video. So the, the LAPD tweeted out and said, uh, contrary to what people were reporting on the ground as as fact, because they were there, they were. You know, documenting they it. They were like, injuries. we didn't close the gate. It's like, okay, well, if you didn't close the gate, you might not have been the one that, that actually physically shut it, but you are the ones who are literally standing in front of the gate and saying, no, you can't open this gate. Uh, we're not opening this gate until these protesters leave, which is, uh, you know, LAPD has got to clean up their fucking calm situation, like, badly. Uh, also, they need to take this whole pandemic a lot more seriously than they are because, you know, we can see at least a few of the cops here are, are actually, they are actually wearing masks, which is nice, but that's not what you see on the streets when you're walking around. If you see a cop car go past, the chances that both of the officers inside are wearing a mask while they're on duty uh, is extremely low. Uh, my empirical anecdotal evidence uh, being the sole source of that, uh, along with all of the videos from uh, our, our friends out there who do things like filming the police. Um, it's wild. Uh, yeah, that's about all I got on this one. Well, what is truth, Chris? <laughs> uh, wasn't, wasn't, the gate. wasn't the pandemic the friends we made along the way? <laughs> <laughs> the, the cops close the gate. They say the fire department closes the gate. LA Times says that the fire department closes the gate, and they say no. And then... LAPD says, well, we can't we can't descend upon them like vermin and, you know, with batons swinging like we would if they were people of color because they were on the sidewalk and they weren't uh, uh, disrupting anything. Well, if you had to close the gate for a vaccination center in the middle of the epicenter of the country of a global pandemic, I mean, I call that a disruption. Yeah. The nation's and yet, the nation's largest vaccine center, by the way, not just not just anyone. This is the largest vaccination center in the entire country that they closed with forty people. They held it hostage. Forty people. Yeah. Though to to their credit, they closed it a lot better than uh, Washington uh, closed the Capitol. Ah, ayo. <laughs> Well, I mean, because some of those cops that were like at the vaccination center were probably, you know, in in D.C. too. They knew what was coming. Yeah, but, sure. Uh, before this, yeah, I was gonna say update. They might get their own free speech zone, and I'm sure <laughs> these crazy anti-vaxxers will love nothing more than being sealed together in a free speech zone. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, fuck these people. It's so bad. Um, <sighs> yeah. Well, anyway, uh, wrapping things up, we've got some stuff going on uh, in L.A. Tomorrow specifically, there is going to be uh, BLM L.A. is is having a an action at the Stanley Mosque Courthouse on Tuesday, tomorrow, February 2nd, 2021 at 12 p.m. to support transformative change in Los Angeles. Uh, from the tweet, quote, we know that police associations have been pushing back against our progressive justice reform. We must push back. Hashtag stand with George. Hashtag progressive justice reform. So this is basically um, LAPPL and a bunch of other groups have been uh, shitting all over George Gascon and the reforms that he is trying to push through. Uh, and so this is a, a chance to stand up and show some solidarity there 
at the Stanley Mosque Courthouse, 111 North Hill Street. Again, this is at noon, 111 North Hill Street in downtown Los Angeles. Double masked and physically distanced because unlike the anti-vax uh, protesters, BLM takes this shit seriously. Uh, if you are comfortable coming out, please do. Um, I might make it out there. I probably won't be able to because I'll be live tweeting uh, and city council will be in effect uh, or in session. Rather, they've got their they're back on schedule. They've got their Tuesday and Wednesday meetings, which means you can join me right here on twitch.tv slash knock dot or sorry, twitch.tv slash crowd game LA. I remember what I do. Uh, the tweets are at knock.la, K-N-O-C-K-D-O-T-L-A. Uh, that's where you can find those two things. I will be live streaming uh, from 10 a.m. when the meeting is supposed to start, uh, even though it almost never does because, well, Nuri Martinez is bad at her job. Uh, and, yeah, so that's what that's what I'll be doing on Tuesday and Wednesday morning. You can join me yeah. here. See if, see if we get that uh, mandated 30 minutes of public comment. Uh, well, I mean, she yeah, mm, rules. She doesn't seem to care about the rules uh, at all, and it's a problem. But anyway, uh, there's also going to be a – let me turn this off and then bring up the flyer. Here we go. Bushido, hit it. Drugstore day. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, on uh, Saturday, February 6th at MacArthur Park, 2 p.m., uh, you can go uh, – if you know people who are unhoused who need stuff like – medicine like some basic supplies they can show up they can get what they need uh they've got a bunch of masks they've got a bunch of ppe for people who are living out there on the street uh and basically anything you need to stay safe stay healthy they're gonna have it you can come grab it free store style uh so again macarthur park saturday saturday february 6 2 p.m and if you would like to help uh you can head to tinyurl.com backslash unhoused la capital l capital a buy some stuff off of the amazon wish list help some people out and uh that way you don't have to worry about like having to leave your house because as we keep saying over and over again uh stay stay the fuck home if you can yeah exactly so um i think that pretty much wraps everything up here uh let me pull up the end of this uh terry you got anything else no that's about it here all right well as always, if y'all have any events that you want us to be taking part in, publicizing or just being made aware of, please send us a message. You can reach us through the Ground Game LA Facebook page, on Twitter or Instagram at Ground Game LA. This podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. Check the description of this podcast for sources, links to actions, and social media links. Thank you very much for tuning in and watching along with us here on Twitch. Uh, or listening to us on whatever your podcasting app of choice is. Uh, we really do appreciate it, and uh, this has been a lot of fun to do. We're very close to our three-year anniversary of this, uh, Squirrel. That's pretty wild to think about. So, Shit. <laughs> we're old hat at this shit these days. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Um, that's all I got. Talk to yeah, you we'll uh, we'll see you all again on Wednesday and then again on Friday. And uh, tell your friends, tune in. Let's get the chat popping. That yeah. that stuff's more fun. We need more people it tuning is. into the chat. But we'll catch y'all on the flip side. Terry, thank you very much for coming all the way back from uh, your existentially threatened nor'easter um, hellhole, uh, <laughs> aka uh, New York. Yeah, well, unlike you guys out there, I uh, keep the windows closed. <laughs> um, just, the, the, the snow stays outside. 
Uh, but then I appreciate you yeah, guys of having course, me. Of course. All right. Well, take it easy, everybody. Uh, stay safe. Uh, I'll be back here soon. <laughs> Very soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you.